Welcome to Multilingual Montessori, a podcast where we discuss multilingualism, multiculturalism, and raising children from a Montessori perspective. I'm Gabrielle Kutkov, an AMI Montessori guide and TESOL instructor, and I'm the founder of the Multilingual Montessori website and Instagram account. Today I'm speaking with Beth Allison, a mom, educator, and entrepreneur who lives in Phoenix, Arizona. Beth is Navajo and grew up on the Navajo Reservation in Arizona, but she's not fluent in the Navajo language. When her son, who is now two and a half, was born, Beth decided to learn Navajo along with him. She quickly found that there weren't as many teaching resources for an indigenous language like Navajo as there are for world languages like Spanish and Mandarin. So she began creating and sharing resources and videos for other parents teaching their children Navajo as well, which she now shares on her website, The Allison Exchange. In our conversation, Beth talks about what it was like to grow up hearing Navajo spoken around her but not speaking it herself, and why she made the decision to raise her son speaking Navajo. She shares a history of the Navajo language and why it means so much to her as a Navajo woman and mother to keep the Navajo language and culture alive and pass it down to the next generation. Beth was nine months pregnant with her second child when we recorded this conversation and she has since given birth to a healthy baby boy. A big congratulations to Beth and her husband. Please enjoy my conversation with Beth. Hi, Beth. Thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Hi, good morning or afternoon. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I'm looking forward to this. Me too. I'm so glad. I'm so glad we get an opportunity to chat. Um, So to start, I would love for you to introduce yourself. Tell us who you are, where you live, and about your family. Oh, sure. I'm excited. Um, My name is Beth Allison and I am Navajo. So I'm going to start with my Navajo introduction. Um, Traditionally, we Navajos, they introduce, they have this set Navajo introduction. And I'll explain it afterwards, but I'll do mine so you can hear it. And there's more parts to it, but I'm still learning those parts. Um, I am Navajo, but I'm not fluent in Navajo. And that's, you know, what we'll be discussing today. But that was my Navajo part of the first part of my Navajo introduction. It was just my name and stating my mom and dad's clan, as well as my grandparents' clan. So there was four clans included in my introduction, and that's like the traditional Navajo introduction. If you go into a Navajo event or community, you'll hear everyone <laughs> introduce themselves in that way. Um, but yeah, so I currently live in Phoenix, Arizona, um, just about four hours drive from the Navajo Nation, which is where I was born and where I grew up and where my family and my husband's family live. And I've previously been in education, kind of an advising or support role for students as my occupation. And that's what I was doing before I fell into being a mom, not fell into, but (laughs) became a mom and started this language learning journey, which we'll talk about today. Um, but I really loved my job and I it focused more around Native American education policies and history and programs. Um, I did work a year 
with the Navajo Nation Department of Education. Um, so that was a really cool experience um, and really inspired me to focus and work with Native American youth and families. And then I became a mom and that's kind of brought me to where I am today. I'm kind of a blend of my parenting experience with language learning and connecting with our culture while not living on the Navajo Nation. I might go back and forth between calling it the res and Navajo Nation, um, but we don't live on the res. So it's kind of been a goal of mine since becoming a mom to really reconnect with that and find ways to implement that in our home. So my son can also be a part of it. Um, but when I became a mom, it kind of drove me crazy to, you know, going from a working professional, working 40 to sometimes 50 hours a week um, in the school district I was working for and transitioning to a mom nursing all day, sitting and, you know, with a newborn, it, it caught me really off guard. <laughs> um, so I needed to be productive. And one of the cool things I saw online, I was on social media a lot. Um, I saw other moms developing an online presence, building community through social media, starting small businesses, and then kind of the other side of it of parenting and homeschooling and language learning. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like, I'm living this life right now. You know, I'm a stay at home mom. I'm trying to learn miles, what milestones my kids should be meeting and what activities to do and how to you know, grow their speech development and singing songs and all of that. Um, and that inspired my journey. So we'll talk about that more. And my husband is also Navajo. Um, we met in college in New Hampshire, but he actually oh, grew wow. up, actually grew up, um, what is it, three and a half hours from where I grew up, but we didn't meet until college in New Hampshire, <laughs> kind of the other side of the country. Um, but he's also Navajo. He was born and raised on the res too. Um, he currently works with a energy provider company here in Phoenix. So both of our families, they still live on the Navajo Nation. We currently have a two and a half year old and currently expecting our second child any day now. So. <laughs> That's kind of a snapshot of who I am and where I'm at currently. Oh, thanks for sharing that. Um, so tell me a little bit about your own language learning journey before we get into um, your son's language journey. What languages did you learn as a child and did you hear spoken around you as a child? Navajo was the first language for pretty much every generation before me. <laughs> so my parents, their first language was Navajo and pretty much everyone else before them. My grandparents, my great grandparents, it was all Navajo. Um, it's, it's more of an oral language and didn't really become a written language until maybe the, oof, maybe early 1900s. So pretty recent. Um, um, for me, I'm the youngest of five, actually. I have two older brothers and two older sisters. Um, and of course, both my parents were fluent. And growing up, my two oldest brothers, kind of, I think their first language was English, but they had such a huge blend of both languages. So even today, 
they're fluent in both English and Navajo. Um, so when they when we hang out, both of them will talk in both English and Navajo. Um, and then my two older sisters and I are kind of the opposite. We were mostly English and we know very little Navajo. But, you know, we grew up on the res and it's, you know, Navajo people everywhere, Navajo communities, our neighbors were our aunts and uncles and cousins and, you know, the people who lived behind them were our grandparents, siblings and nieces and nephews. So it was really a community. Um, and that's how like the whole res is like everybody knows everybody. <laughs> and it's really a big Navajo speaking place, of course. Um, there is not to say that there's not English. Um, so growing up, whether it was community events, the radio, um, even parts of the newspaper, it was all in Navajo. Whenever we had family get togethers, it was all mostly in Navajo. Um, and it was hard for me growing up like I it's not just, I, I want to say I really was fluent in terms of understanding it at a young age, but just over time, the older I got, it just wasn't spoken as much. Um, so I didn't become too fluent in it. And of course, by the time I was in middle school, high school, I was like not fluent, but I, because it was still around me a lot, I could still pick up on what the conversation was talking about. I could say a few words, a few sentences. I can pronounce it and read it really well. Um, and even if someone says a phrase to me, I'm able to reproduce it and, you know, not like butcher the pronunciation. Mm -hmm. um, so I have that good, I don't know what you call it, that good, the, I know the letters, the sounds, the alphabet. I'm really familiar with that. And that has become a huge benefit to trying to learn it now because um, mm -hmm. I don't have to spend so much time learning the sounds and alphabet and everything because I feel like I have a good background in that already. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, because you must have gotten that at such a young age when you were mm -hmm. in, in those early years, the sounds mm -hmm. are there in your brain. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, you know, English in school, in the stores, in the workplaces, like it's all English, even to this day, it's still um, dominantly English in those spaces. Um, so aside from Navajo and my family and in the community, you know, in school, when I was in school, it's different now, it's a little more now, but when I was in school, it was spoken and used very little. I had about half um, non-Navajo non teachers and about half of them were Navajo teachers from the community. So of course it was mostly English, very little time and resources were spent on teaching Navajo in school. Um, and back then it was like the same one or two Navajo language books that we would use when I did get to high school and we did have Navajo history, language and government courses. It was like the same old book that everybody used. Um, it's a little mm. different now that we have a little bit more resources now, but back then it was like the same one or two books and the same like VHS video. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I did learn Spanish in high school and college. Um, so I kind of dipped my toes into Spanish and then also had the Navajo language background. Um, so that's kind of how I grew up around and with the Navajo language. 
Um, and it was very similar for my husband too. Um, his parents and grandparents were fluent, but they kind of have a different attitude around it. And I think that's kind of the underlying layer that my husband and I talk about in our language learning journey now with our son is like, we have so many questions, like how come our parents didn't do it? Like we're figuring this out now, like what were their thoughts then around passing on the language and teaching it and making it an important part of our everyday lives? was how, when did they decide that, you know, learning Navajo isn't important, let's focus on English. Um, they're gonna use English in school and in their careers. So what's the point of teaching them Navajo? You know, there was this, and my dad has kind of said similar things, like he knew he wanted us to go to school, go to college and get a good education and, you know, get good jobs because that was what, the dream was for everyone back then and learning Navajo was for some people, not everybody was seen as a detriment to that or a barrier to getting that education that was going to be in English or getting that job that was going to be, you know, most likely not on the res. So those, and that's like a longer conversation, but that's kind of how we've come to this point in our language learning journey as a family. Mm. Do you think that there was a shift and what do you think in your experience caused that from when you were growing up and your parents were raising you to now and people, people's attitudes toward the language now? I think it was just everything that was going on within the community and in the country because my parents they were also the first in our families to go to school, to go to, you know, there's um, our, me and my siblings, our first generation. Um, and so for them, they grew up, like their early childhood was, you know, they had no electricity, no running water um they had sheep they had cattle they had horses and you know they still remember going to the trading posts in horses and wagons um and then they got vehicles and then they went to school and then they finally were able to get their own jobs and like all of this infrastructure on the res started booming as they were growing up and becoming adults and of course starting their family and they saw more schools popping up in the area, more programs, more jobs. And I think that really impacted how they lived and raised me and my siblings. Like, okay, there's all of these changes and advancements and things going on, like, and they saw the focus on English and knew that was the direction we needed to go, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So this change in lifestyle, this change in their way of living, driving, dressing, cooking, even with this transition between traditional foods and grocery stores started coming to the res. And it was such an interesting time period. And again, I'm just like, gosh, how do they make those decisions, you know? And they just saw the benefit of English over Navajo, not to say, and you know, like I said, they still spoke it, they still speak it, but 
it wasn't going to be useful. And so why focus on it? Why teach it? You know, we're not going to be mad that our daughters don't speak Navajo. Maybe they'll learn one day, but my, especially my dad, he was very big on promoting education and making sure that we went to school. Because as, even though he didn't graduate from college, he joined the Air Force. So he did travel. He did, you know, leave the res. He, it was his first time leaving and his first time really being the only native, the only brown person in a room full of people. And he got to go all over the world and um, come back to the res. So I think that also impacted his attitudes around, I want my kids to travel. I want them to see what's out there. I want them to get an education. And I never got an education, but it's something I want for them. So they favored English and it was a big issue for them that we weren't fluent. Um, and I feel like my dad still feels that way a little bit. Hmm. I have a, I have a lot of questions to ask my dad <laughs> next time <laughs> I see him. <laughs> yeah. Um, so was your, uh, was your husband's experience about the same that he grew up hearing Navajo, but isn't fluent in it? Yeah. So his was really similar. Um, his grandparents now, of course, they're still fluent and kind of the same thing. His grandpas, I think both his grandpas are veterans too. Um, both of, I want to say both of his grandmas were teachers, um, growing up and his mom speaks more Navajo than his dad, but growing up, it was really similar in that they wanted education they wanted him to leave the res and go to school get a job so teaching him navajo wasn't enforced wasn't a Mm. priority and the same with school he went to a public school and it was all in english maybe the occasional navajo language class in junior high and high school Um, so very similar and i i'm a little more fluent and can read and write and understand more than he can um but you know the usual phrases and slang and bits and bits of conversations he can pick up um and the mannerisms and everything like he can pick those up but again he's he's less fluent than i am um but in terms of the family history and um, favoring english over navajo as we were growing up is really similar Um, so how did the decision to learn Navajo with your son come about? Was becoming fluent in Navajo something that you always wanted to do? Or did it, um, did becoming a mom, you know, affect that decision? Yeah, it was kind of the perfect storm, or I don't know about perfect, but <laughs> it was kind of a big storm just brewing with everything. Um, you know, it's kind of a blend of my personal values blending into our family. Um, For me, my culture and my identity as a Navajo woman is important to me. Um, I was very close with my mom, very close with my grandma, and both of them aren't here today. Um, And it's 
now becoming a mom myself, it's been very hard um, because I really clung to them. They were, you know, Navajo is a matrilineal society and we get our clans from our mother's clan. Um, and just stories, culture, traditions, it revolves around moms and, and the household. And it's, it's just something that I value a lot and something I cling to and I miss. And um, I wanna make my mom and my grandma proud. Um, and I do acknowledge that it is difficult or it has been a difficult decision to, you know, I said I we live in Phoenix now and it's about a four or five hour drive home to the res. And it is a difficult decision to live away from the Navajo community, from our family, from tribal events and programs. And the, there are a number of Navajo immersion schools that we could definitely use with our son. But again, we, we live in Phoenix and we made the choice to live here in Phoenix for our jobs, for our family. And, you know, it makes it that much harder to, in my role, to try to reconnect and learn and engage my family in Navajo culture. Um, so I've, I've always tried to learn the language specifically as a teenager in college. Um, but I always would start and then quit. I'd get out that same one language textbook and try to read through it and practice, but it was just so hard um, then. And I always would quit because it was so hard <laughs> and difficult. There's very limited resources. Um, growing up, there was no resources and finding the incentive or the need is hard. Like I said, unless you're working for the tribe or you're a leader for one of these tribal programs, these native programs, not just for the Navajo, but for, you know, there's these um, national Native American education programs and initiatives, um, and they really value language and people who are fluent. Um, you know, for example, the president of the Navajo Nation, they have a requirement that you have to speak be fluent in Navajo to run for the tribal president. And oh, wow. I, I can't remember if it was this last election or two elections ago, there was an individual who ran for president, but he was not fluent. And it caused this whole thing because he was a popular, popular vote, a popular candidate. And they actually tried to change that presidential requirement um, to be fluent in Navajo. It didn't work out. Um, and, and that's a long story. But, <laughs> you know, there's there are spaces where the language is really valued. So you have to be fluent to work in some of the immersion schools on the res. I always thought I had all the time in the world to learn, but becoming a mom, it just changed it just like flipped <laughs> um, when I became a mom because as a mom, I really took, I really take that role seriously. You know, not that no one doesn't or some people don't, but you know, it not having my mom, not having my grandma and being so close to them, it's really impacted now how I try to fill my shoes as a mom and 
I was exposed right away. You know, I couldn't wait any longer. I'm trying to learn about milestones and skill development and language learning and newborns and babies and toddlers. And, you know, I just kept seeing all of these articles and blogs and videos on social media, the internet, about moms who are really promoting these, using the Montessori method, using homeschooling um, to teach their kids. And then I kind of fell into this rabbit hole of bilingual parenthood who teach their kids in English and Spanish or English and French or English and Mandarin. Some of them even three languages. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's insane. I want to do that. So it really inspired me to one, learn about, you know, all of the developments and milestones in kids and two, creating your own opportunities and fo really fostering those learning environments to expose them to sounds, to language, to activities, to sent their sensory um, inputs and everything. And I'm like, what? what better time, what more perfect environment do I need to learn myself and also teach my son what I'm learning in both English and Navajo. And I'm like, I can do this. Like, I can learn the colors in English and Navajo. And he'll, he'll also be learning along with me because we're at the, like the same, <laughs> you know, he's like two and a half, but we're at this same level of understanding and learning in terms of the language so i'm like we could team up and do this i can do yeah. this um and again being so inspired by seeing what other moms and dads and parents and programs are doing online across the world with different languages um and it just really inspired me and i'm like i and, you know, having my own background, again, in connection with my culture and really wanting to learn and pass that on to my son and have him also be proud of his culture and where he comes from. And, you know, it's not going to get e any easier. We don't see ourselves moving back to the res anytime soon. So um, and there's a lot of, you know, issues of representation and um, stereotypes that are really popular with native culture. So that also has kind of come into the reasons of why we wanna focus on this and why we wanna to continue to promote language learning um, as much as we can. You know, it's not to say, you know, check back with me in 10 years, both of us are gonna be fluent. I don't think I'm ever gonna be fully fluent, <laughs> um, but you know, it's, this past year, I'm so proud of how far we've come. Like it hasn't been much, but oh my gosh, just how much I've grown and just seeing the like, right now he can only read two words in Navajo and he doesn't use them all the time, but oh my gosh, just to, as a mom to, you know, any mom to see your kids, watch your kids grow and develop so quickly and to pick up reading and speech and milestones so quick but to hear it in your native language to call you shema that's mom in navajo to hear him say shema i'm like oh my god <laughs> um it's just a a moment i'll never forget and how happy it makes me feel 
as a mom and how proud my mom and grandma would be. And I don't know, it's just that mom feeling of joy and happiness and you just love your kids so much and you want them to be proud of who they are, of where they come from. And seeing that connection with language and culture is so cool to see. And it's all of it is like, I did that. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, I did that and I can keep doing it. And it's hard to explain because <laughs> we're still deep in it, right? I'm, I'm still a mom and it's probably my hormones now from this pregnancy. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that is so beautiful. Yeah. I think that, um, I, I think that he's hopefully going to grow up feeling really connected to the culture because you're doing the language with him mm-hmm. at such a young age. It's all so connected. Like you really can't learn a language without also learning about the culture and you can't really understand a culture without understanding mm-hmm. a little bit of the language. Yeah. Um, so what was your family's reaction to your decision to learn Navajo with your son? What did they think about that? Uh, so there wasn't really a conversation about it. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, and it goes back to me being the youngest and growing up not fluent, especially with my older brothers. They do more Navajo. And so when we were learning or I was learning the bits and pieces here growing up and even outside of our family, I was always made fun of. And even it still happens to this day. I did a year of teaching on the res too after college. And it was still the same way. You get teased for, excuse me, you get teased for not knowing how to pronounce words, even just the basic greetings in Navajo, yate, yatehe, if you, you know, if you say it wrong or you have a different accent, the kids and people will make fun of you and they'll laugh at you. And even in the professional setting, when I worked in the Department of Education for the tribe, it's mostly men, older men who are fluent in Navajo. So coming in uh, out of my master's program, being a female, being not fluent in Navajo. And many times it was often the first question when meeting these um, individuals who are part of the tribal council, who are part of the education programs, the leadership, that was often their first question. Like, are you fluent in Navajo? And having to say no, you see their attitude change really quick because one, you're a woman and two, you're not fluent in Navajo. Um, because they do a lot of their meetings and work in Navajo and English too. But there's really this kind of almost judgment that goes on because you're Navajo, but you're not fluent in Navajo. Um, So that's kind of a big scar for me. Um, And probably why I never really took it seriously as a teenager, as an adult, because when you get teased about trying to speak your native language by other Navajos, by other natives, and you know, it's similar for everybody, I think, who's learned a language, whether it's Spanish, your family knows Spanish and you're not fluent and you get teased because you don't know you're not fluent. Um, But that was a big barrier for me to get over. 
um, in, in making this decision and trying to teach my son. And I was scared to tell my family that it was something I really wanted to take seriously this time with my son. So I, it, it's not necessarily a conversation I had with my family because we don't all live here either. I have, my brother still lives on the res. I have a brother who lives here in Phoenix and then two sisters who also live off the res. So we're all kind of in different areas, not all in one place, but they really picked it up. I became more active in sharing our journey through social media and um, the things I would hang up in our house. So when they would visit or when they would see me post on social media is when they saw it. And they're like, oh, like, again, I, I never told them, but they saw it over time. And it was really cool to see because I think before, if I had just like said, hey, we're trying to learn, can you teach, can you, during our visit today, can you try, try talking to him just in Navajo? Or even me going up to them and asking like, how do you say this or how do you pronounce this in Navajo? It was cool to see, whereas before it was just like a quick conversation or they would tease me a little bit of how I would say it or repeat it. But this time, after I really made that known on my social media and I started posting videos about what me and my son were doing and some of the things that I was making, it was cool to see them switch to because without me asking, they would talk to my son in Navajo or like wow. do some of like some of the phrases they saw me posting about or practicing with him. They would always they would also try to do it when we would visit um, without me asking or I would just pop in and try to insert my a question in Navajo. And they wouldn't like before they would look at me weird and be like, what are you trying to do? Or what are you trying to say? Or like, since when are you trying to speak Navajo? <laughs> <laughs> but this time when I would come in and, you know, randomly ask them, like, as they're talking in Navajo, like, what did you say? Or how do you spell that? Or is that the same word as this word, but in a different tense? They were really more open to explaining and on a serious level, like as a mentoring teaching level rather than a sibling making fun of and teasing and like oh you don't know what you're talking about type of attitude so that's been really cool to see yeah. and i'm very thankful for that <laughs> um and they've, they've been supportive of it um it's very cool to see them engage with my son in navajo in the times that they do um, and if they see a book or a new video or article, like they'll share it with me. And again, before they would have never done that. Um, so it's, it's been nice to see them also embrace our, my attempt to use and learn more Navajo. <laughs> um, but it is difficult to ask them to teach me because again, especially my brothers, they learned it mostly through immersion. You know, when they weren't in school, they spent the summers with my grandma and my grandma only spoke Navajo um and you know they didn't have tv they didn't have video games they didn't have so they were with her all day all summer so that's that immersion is where they really learned Navajo it wasn't in a school it wasn't with videos it wasn't with flashcards. it was like direct interaction like true immersion and so when I asked them to teach me 
they really have trouble teaching the language to a non-native speaker because they didn't learn that way so they don't know how to teach it and for me you know that's like the only one way i feel like i can learn like i need charts and i need a book and pen and paper and i need to write it to see it written and i need all the verb tenses in a chart yeah (laughs) um i can't just be immersed in it and pick it up you know maybe if i really did spend like 100 percent immersion in it maybe i could but you know that's not how i learn and can learn right now yeah so in that way it's been difficult for them to help me but that's that's part of the process i think in trying to you know there's these barriers like that that pop up in as a family that's trying to learn it's just something we have to work through like early on this year when i tried to really spend 15 to 20 minutes a day learning navajo whether it was reading writing speaking i would facetime my brother and ask him to help me with it and even that was different for us because i never facetimed my brother so (laughs) um but it's been cool to see them get involved and even see some friends of mine that I've known for a really long time become involved and be really supportive of what we're doing. Um, And there's been a few individuals where they've reached out to me and be like, you know, I've seen what you've been doing this year. And I think it's so cool. You know, sometimes you feel like no one's listening. No one cares. Why am I even doing this? But every now and then there'll be even a stranger. Um, a stranger or a friend online who says, oh my gosh, like, that's so cool what you're doing. I wish I had time to do that. I wish I could do that. You're doing such a good job. And I'm just like, um, oh, that's and it great. motivates me to do more. Yeah. Um, so the support, little and big from my family and even friends and strangers online has been really cool to, and unexpected sometimes um, in our language learning journey. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, What I was going to say before is that in Montessori, we talk about the first plane of development, which is um, zero to six and language learning in that period really does just happen through immersion for the most part. But once you are older than that, like even older children and then adolescents and adults really need that concrete language learning, like Mm -hmm. you were talking about, um, I learned Italian in college. Um, My mom's family is Italian, but she didn't, she, her parents spoke Italian, but they didn't teach her. So then she couldn't teach me. And I learned it as an adult and I really needed those like flashcards and all the memorization and everything. (laughs) Yeah. I had learned it as a child. Highlighters. Yeah. All of that. (laughs) Um, So yeah, what you were saying about how your brothers learned it as children, like they had it from such a young age and they were just immersed and they didn't need all that stuff that as adults we need. So before we, I do want to go back to your journey and all the resources that you have been making, but first Mm -hmm. um, tell us, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about the history of the Navajo language and language revitalization. Um, So tell us a bit about that. Yeah. So, and I think that's been kind of a deep reason also of why 
my husband and I are so passionate about trying this. Like, it's very easy, you know, with what I'm doing around language learning and trying to learn myself and also teach my son. Kind of the big for driving force behind it is the history of Navajo culture and specifically around language. Um, because, you know, there was a time late 1800s, early 1900s, where it was this, you know, it's known as the assimilation era, when the government was moving in and these native communities were quote unquote in the way. And, you know, the government wanted the land, they wanted to assimilate us, they wanted to us to adopt Catholicism, they wanted us to join the church, they wanted us to speak only English and, you know, basically get rid of native culture, traditions, language. And through that era was also born the boarding school era. So all of these boarding schools popped up by missionaries, by the government. And as a result, many native kids, not just Navajo, but across the country, even in Canada, um, many native children were forcibly taken from their homes to attend these boarding schools so that they could be, you know, quote unquote, domesticated and um, stripped of their Navajo customs and language. They oftentimes were forced to speak English if they tried to speak Navajo. You know, I'm, now I'm speaking from a Navajo perspective, like what stories my parents and grandparents and others have told me is that um, when they would try to speak Navajo, the teachers would wash their mouth out with soap. Um, they would be thrown in like a, I don't know what you call it, like isolation if they tried to get together and, you know, sing songs in Navajo or do like, Navajo traditions and customs around seasons or anything, or even dances, um, they would be reprimanded and, you know, told that that's not right, you can't do that. Um, so many of them tried to run away and return back home to their families because they didn't want to be in school. Um, and just heart-wrenching stories like that, that a lot of the gen our generation now that our grandparents went through, even some of our parents um, that they went through. And specifically specifically for the Navajo tribe, there was also the Navajo Long Walk that happened in the late 1800s where um, some government agencies came to our area here in Arizona, New Mexico and forcibly removed a large section of um, Navajos and forced them to walk to a fort that was in um, kind of southern New Mexico now. And many Navajos died, many families perished along the way. Um, so those like that history of forced removal of families from their homes where they had been living for, you know, who knows how long and the forced removal of kids into boarding schools and not being able to speak the language or culture. Like our grandparents, our elders still suffer from that. Um, and it's a big part of the historical trauma that a lot of 
families face today and kind of this not clash but you know there's some people fighting for language and cultural preservation and revitalization because there are less and less people speaking the language but it's also this connection this kind of resistance if you will of you know the government tried to take this from us they're not going to take it from us we're still here and even now with stereotypes and misrepresentation of native communities and native languages you know a lot of people still think that tribal communities are extinct or you know all, all native people are just headdresses and tomahawks and that's not true you know it's this bigger part of language and cultural representation and our rights as native communities as tribes we have our own government and you know i'm speaking mostly from a navajo perspective but there's also cherokee there's also lakota there's also you know, so many over 170, what is it? Over 170 indigenous languages alone in the US. Um, so there's this whole historical piece that I, you know, could talk about all day. And there's this whole history and connection between school and language and culture and resistance and the need for immersion schools and language loss versus, trying to create new language programs like it's it's a big melting pot we have our own big melting pot of these issues and um, effects from events that happened in our in our recent past and um, trying to blend all of those together to find new solutions of moving forward but also remembering where what has happened to us and the effects of that and trying to move forward in a more positive manner and you know not have those bitter feelings affect our desire to stay true and to stay connected with our culture and our language yeah um it can get emotional and you know our there's things we're doing like not just with language but with culture like culturally we have we grow our hair especially even even the boys so our two and a half year old son, we haven't cut his hair yet. It's kind of, he has little long hair. Um, and you know, when you're on the res, you'll see a lot of boys with long hair, with a long braid. Um, but then you'll also see, even just this past school year, um, I think he was half Navajo, half Apache somewhere, where his teacher cut his hair without his parents permission just this past school year oh, oh my god um and so things like that you know still happen and that's not right and it makes us scared for our son and so that's also an emotional factor of why this is important to me and my husband um to really empower our son and have him be proud of who he is and grow his hair and you know it's like this resistance we're still here we you know the government tried to take this from us our land our language but we are still here we are growing we are living we are breathing 
it's we're doing it for our ancestors who never made it we're doing it for all the kids who never made it out of the boarding schools we are what they prayed for we are their descendants we are passing on this language this culture this it's 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 hard to put into words and blend it kind of with my story because it's different for everybody right it's you know if you speak with another navajo couple they're going to have different interpretations and takeaways from navajo history and how they're carrying out their own language and culture practice journey Um, but that's kind of what's important for us for me and my husband at least and how it impacts and kind of crosses over with what we're trying to do with language learning um, today, not just as a family, but even just me as, like I said, as a Navajo woman, it's important to me and to try to foster that and make that important too in my family, in our growing family. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, I think it's beautiful. I think it's really amazing what you're what you're doing, especially not being connected or not, you know, not living close to a lot of the resources that do exist too for language and culture. Um, are all of the immersion schools on the res or are there some immersion schools that are other places as well? Um, so there's only one prominent immersion school and the, the Navajo res is like bigger than Rhode Island or what is it the state yeah (laughs) Um, it takes about five hours to drive across the res in some parts so it's pretty big but the immersion schools there's only and there's been a few there's been like two that really started maybe in the 1980s 1970s maybe Um, but they've kind of fizzled out and then there was kind of this surge again in um, the need for and building of immersion school. So there's like maybe, I want to say three or four, but there's one that's in Winderock and that's kind of the bigger, more well-known immersion program. And there's kind of like in some of the schools in different parts of the res, there's kind of smaller, like it might be one classroom in a school that really is, they try to do it all in Navajo, but it's not like the whole school or whole program. Mm. Excuse me. So there's bits and parts of it implemented depending on the school, because also on the res, there's tribally operated schools and there's also public schools. So they're kind of limited. The public schools are kind of, of course, limited on how much and how often they can include more Navajo language based programs. Not to say that they don't, they still have really creative ways actually of how they incorporate Navajo language history and government instruction and the tribally operated schools kind of have more leeway with there's a Navajo language curriculum department an assessment department um, and they really try to of course focus on not just language but teaching Navajo culture um, within their schools and programming um, and again, those are more, more, they have more freedom to expand on it, on in, including it in their whole school day. Um, but again, it's not, they, they have limited funding. They, you know, just like any other, other school programs or more like private type schooling education programs, 
um, kind of understaffed. They need to have more na certified Navajo language teachers um, for all age levels and trying to find curriculum that that has both Navajo content, but you, you know, you also have to include the state standards in their curriculum. So it's always a revolving cog that you have to keep changing and updating, yeah. you know, because standards always have to change and you have different assessments and all of that stuff. So it's, there's more what it is administrative or political stuff behind it, right? But um, there's, unfortunately, I wish there were more immersion schools. And even here in Phoenix, the urban areas that are close to the res, um, Albuquerque, Phoenix, even Flagstaff, um, that's right outside the borders of the res, where a lot of Navajo families have relocated to. Like here in Phoenix, there's a big Navajo population, right? But there's no immersion schools, mm -hmm. even like a small little Navajo. That's like my dream to create like a little small Navajo language nest here in Phoenix for all of the Navajo families who do live here yeah. um, would be so cool. Or even just like an informal mom group or parent group where we, because I've seen, again, on social media, I've seen other families and moms make their own, right? And I'm like, I want to do that both Navajo and, um, but you know, someday maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um, so have you been able to connect with other families learning and, and studying Navajo or has that been really challenging? Um, yeah, that's been challenging mostly because of COVID, you know, mm -hmm. like I would jump on that in a heartbeat to do like a Navajo language mom group with kids or something, or, you know, like a weekly play group even. Um, but just because of COVID, it's just making it yeah. difficult. But as I've mentioned, I've become more engaged on social media and sharing online through my Instagram and YouTube and a little bit of Facebook, but mostly it's on Instagram um, where I have been able to connect with other moms who are doing the same thing, native and non-native. Um, some moms are trying to do it with Cherokee. Some are doing it with Lakota. There's a Lakota Montessori program. Oh, cool. I wish they were more I wish they were more active on social media, but they don't post that often. But they do some awesome stuff with um, the Lakota Montessori group. And there's a couple moms who are in Navajo who are doing homeschooling. And they've actually this mom, she's actually used teaching her kids Hopi and Navajo. And she's actually used a couple of the resources that I've made, um, which has been really cool to see. Oh, cool. Um, so making those connections, of course, I wouldn't have made it if it weren't for COVID or if it weren't for um, sharing my journey on social media. Um, so that part has been really cool. And then secondly, like a lot of these language programs, conferences, and events that used to be in-person only went virtual because of COVID. So I've, that's been really cool because, not COVID, but <laughs> that's been really cool because now I've, I've been able to access them virtually um, because, of course, they went all virtual. So that's been really neat to see, like we went to some um, 
Navajo baby cradle board presentations. We went to some um, Navajo parenting uh, and child rearing traditional like share story sharing, just like random virtual events that we've been able to I've been able to catch that I'm sure I wouldn't have you know, before these were only in person, you had to be in the community or living on the res to go to these. But now because it's virtual, being able to participate and hear and see and, you know, I, I feel like I'm at home and um, it's been really comforting and cool to be a part of and make those connections now. Um, and even now in Phoenix, there are some programs, that, like there is a Navajo language program with the Phoenix Indian Center um, here in Phoenix. They do have a language class. They do have a Navajo singing class, like a singing group. Um, but again, those are hard to get to because it is in person. And you know, we don't, they kind of had to change it because of COVID. And they're having another session coming up now, but you know, I'm due any day and I can't. Yeah. I don't want <laughs> I can't enroll now. I wish I could, but it's just like a lot on top of having a newborn soon. So yeah, there's different types of immersion opportunities available now. So tell us about the resources that you've been creating. So you mentioned that you started um, sharing on Instagram mm -hmm. and YouTube, and you've also started creating some language learning resources. Yeah, so again, I got so inspired by seeing these other moms who are also staying at home with their kids. You know, I just have one, but some of these moms have like three, four, five. I'm like, oh my gosh, how do you guys do it? But they're they're such boss moms. They they're teaching their kids English and Spanish. They're learning Spanish along with their kids in other languages, not just Spanish um and especially kind of the teacher side of it they make their own printables they make their own flashcards to fit the needs of their students or their kids um and not even fancy stuff like i've seen some moms like you know just cut up old cardboard old amazon boxes and use markers to cut out shapes and use that like as a they build their own little puzzle you know or um, just really creative stuff like that that I've that was really new to me because I am a new mom a first-time mom so I'm like I can do that and then it's also a part of it where you see all of these amazing Spanish resources amazing Mandarin resources and videos and shows and even apps and posters and activity kits but there's nothing like that for Navajo and so that all kind of came together and you know I, I love doing these types of things I have a big entrepreneurial spirit I I want to try new things and you know being a stay-at-home mom to a newborn I, it, I really catapulted myself into making my own website learning a little bit of graphic design and how to make videos and I'm like if they can do it I can do it <laughs> if they can do it with three kids four kids I can do it with you know a six-month-old <laughs> um, and it was really cool because I did struggle with you know postpartum depression and just that transition from being 
a working professional student, professional advisor to being a stay-at-home mom. You know, I had been in school my whole life, went straight to college into my master's program and was about, was accepted into a PhD program when I found out I was pregnant and then just like plopping, you know, flipping my world into being a stay-at-home mom. And it wasn't the plan to be a stay-at-home mom, but then COVID happened, right? (laughs) And my son was six months old when COVID really hit. And I'm just like, there's no way I'm going back to work. I can't put him in a daycare now. And we were so blessed and fortunate that I wasn't pressured, you know, financially to have to go back to work. Um, and it just, it, it was just like me and my husband, okay, let's, let me stay home. I can stay home. We'll be okay for a few months, but a few months is like two and a half years now. <laughs> which is fine. It's been okay. And, you know, I'm expecting any day now again. So um, it's working out, thankfully. Um, But yeah, so I just dove into all of this to making Navajo posters, resources as I'm learning, right? As I learn Navajo, the months in Navajo or the numbers in Navajo, there's a few resources online because those are really common and popular, right? To learn how to say, the numbers one through 10 in a language or great popular greetings in another language. Those are really popular to find. And it's like that with Navajo. You can just Google months in Navajo and you'll get a ton of hits. Um, but in terms of resources for parents teaching kids and that you both can use, there's almost no resources on it. Printables, downloads, posters, flashcards. There's a few, but some of them you have to live on the res to buy it because it's only like one store or one Mm. little part of the library that has it on the res. Um, So some of them I did have to go back home to buy Navajo books, um, some dictionaries, and there's one little store online that does flashcards and posters and they have like a CD with kids songs in Navajo. Um, But outside of that, there's very almost no resources. So I'm like, I need to do this. Like how many other moms are in my shoes right now? How many other parents would love to learn their language and to try to teach their kids too? Like I can't be the only one. Um, So it was really, it really drove me to build my website, a blog, do some videos, do some vlogging of how I try to practice Navajo with him and trying to learn myself, to challenge myself to learn every day. I did a language challenge, like vlog series on my YouTube earlier this year. Um, My kind of resources have grown and even my own skills in like designing these things, because it's hard. (laughs) It's hard to design these things and print and, you know, it doesn't line up. So you have to go back and re-edit. And then on top of that, I'm still, you know, learning the language itself. Um, But I I love it. I enjoy it so much. I I can't choose one. (laughs) So I have videos, I have printables, I have, my social media and little reels on Instagram and stuff, but I love doing all of it. And um, yeah, I've wanted to quit <laughs> like five times this past year, but I get so motivated by seeing other parents 
Navajo and not Navajo appreciate the work that I'm doing. And like I mentioned earlier, like the few comments that come in when I feel like I'm not getting anywhere or I feel like no one's listening, like the a parent sends me a picture of their kid coloring my clip art sheets and stuff. It's it's so cool to see. And I'm like, I made that like I'm making yeah. these language learning memories and moments in someone's house who didn't have that opportunity before. And it just makes me so happy and gives me such value in the work that I'm doing and even motivates me as a mom and to continue trying to teach my son. Um, It's really empowering on a mom level on a, you know, that cultural resistance level, like we got this, like, we're going to do this, like our kids are going to learn Navajo, like they might not be fluent, but they're going to know, you know, the Navajo alphabet, they're going to know how to read Navajo, they're going to know how to figure it out, they're going to know where to go to find resources to learn if they ever want to really learn one day. And it's really cool. It's a really cool spot to be in. (laughs) Um, But yeah, and I think there's this kind of theme I've felt in this conversation, and that's like the language and culture and representation. Because that was that's probably been the most uncomfortable part of my research and looking for Navajo resources that are culturally appropriate. Um, I went on Teachers Pay Teachers to find Navajo resources or other Spanish resources and see how I can kind of fit that with Navajo language. But the Native American content that's not just on Teachers Pay Teachers, but the internet and our history books, like it's all natives in headdresses, tomahawks and war paint and buckskin. And yeah, those things might fit a native culture or history, but that's not it. Like none of that is part of Navajo culture. Like Navajo culture is so different. We have different foods, we have different clothing, we have different languages, we have you know both historically and both like a current day like it's so different and even trying to find images to put on my posters and trying to find Navajo appropriate clip art was hard like it was just all teepees and you know the kid clip art with headdresses and buckskin I'm like that is not Navajo at all um and you know that's the popular image that's out there that's in our history books that kit that teachers are using in their classrooms and okay i'm like okay i can create my own navajo clip art so again i taught myself how to do clip art designs and i have like my own little sets of navajo represent representative clip art wow. that i created so you know teachers can buy that and they can design their own bulletin boards or whatever and have cultural Navajo culturally appropriate imagery and representation in their classrooms or homes. Um, So that's been really, that's probably one of my biggest, my proudest moments (laughs) of like, you know, we have to have this Navajo authentic representation out there and not just um, these images that are mostly created by non-natives, right? Um, That are painting this 
inauthentic picture of what native culture or native representation is, but it's more than that. Um, the deeper you dive into each culture, each tribe, um, in each history, it's so different. And I've been, and I, that's why I love this work so much, because it's not just about language, it's this cultural representation that's also important to me um, and motivates me in all aspects of what I'm trying to do with the resources I've been creating on my website, my videos, just inspiring moms, informing others and not moms, moms and dads, you know, all parents, inspiring parents, inspiring educators, that there's so much more to native culture. And there's so much beauty and uniqueness in Navajo language and bringing that into your homes, into yourself, no matter what your past history is with being Navajo, with being native, with trying to learn the culture, with being, feeling like you're left out, or, you know, just because you're half or you're quarter Navajo, like not looking native enough, or, you know, there's so many pieces of it like that, but no matter what your background is, like you still can learn your language, your culture, and there's different ways to do it as a student, as a teenager, as a parent, as a single parent, um, whether you're living on the res or off the res, like there's, there's opportunities and chances for you to, if that's important enough to you to become involved, to learn and grow from that, just as I have, it's, it's hard. <laughs> you want to quit all the time, but I just hope that's something that other parents, educators, and individuals can pick up from what I'm sharing online. Yeah. Yeah. I bet you're inspiring so many people. I'm inspired just listening to you. <laughs> yeah, I really am. It's amazing. Um, so my last question for you is what advice would you give to parents who want to learn a language with their child who are maybe not fluent in a language, but want to go on that journey? Yeah, it's, it's hard. <laughs> like I just said, it's so hard and you want to give up, especially with difficult languages with few resources like Navajo and like even just trying to practice with Navajo like it's not so easy to just sit down and type out a study guide because it's hard to find Navajo fonts a uh, keyboard and that's the other cool thing I did was I made my own Navajo keyboard Wow! <laughs> um, because even that is so limited to find and it's hard to transfer to, you know, a standard keyboard. Um, those things get hard and, you know, you can't find it. So you just give up on that. But my biggest advice would just be to like, just keep going. You're going to, there's going to be more barriers. It feels like than progress and you just have to keep going and learn from others. Like at the very beginning, I, I had this tunnel vision of like, okay, I need to focus on Navajo text, Navajo teachers, Navajo resources. But then I wasn't getting anywhere and I'm like, and it came up like in my feed or something or an article, like uh, another mom was struggling with the same thing, but she was trying to do Spanish and English. And it was so similar to the struggle that I was going through. And so I opened kind of, I widened my perspective and I didn't focus on Navajo for like a good two months, maybe even three months. 
I only looked at kind of bilingual, just overall ling one language learning about language, because we're, in, we're it's not a class we all take, you know, language learning, linguistics, like actually learning how you learn a language is a big part of trying to learn a language as an adult and trying to teach your kids. Um, so that was a big eye opener for me when I really sat down. I took a linguist linguistics class in college. So I kind of had that background when I did try to refresh my memory on how to relearn languages. Um, listening to podcasts was really cool. Um, when I found these homeschooling and bilingual parent podcasts, it was so cool because most of the things they were talking about really directly applied to my struggles and journey and experience with trying to teach my son, learn, learn Navajo and teach my son at the same time. Um, whereas before I was, you know, like I said, I was just trying to look at Navajo resources and perspectives, but opening my eyes to what other bilingual professionals and parents and educators were doing helped me so much. So if that's something that you can do, it might really benefit you and you might find a person or a program or even a school that you, you know, you feel like you vibe with, like you like the resources they share, you like the things they talk about, and you can apply that to your own journey. I think that's can be really beneficial. Um, and it's not for everyone, you know, podcasts and social media and blogs and stuff, or even YouTube videos. There are some bilingual families who do a lot of vlogs and YouTube stuff um, that can be really helpful and motivating. Um, I think motivation is the biggest factor that's going to, you know, kind of help or hurt you. <laughs> the motivation and the consistency. Uh, consistency is really big when you do decide to try to learn or try to find a starting point. Um, and just acknowledge that even a little bit of progress is better than no progress. Um, like I said, I'm, I know I'm never going to be 100% fluent in Navajo, but just this past year, like the beginning of this year, I couldn't tell you um, how to say the numbers past 10 in Navajo, <laughs> but now I can. And the same with the months in Navajo, I probably couldn't, I would have, I could, I can read them and I know them, but I couldn't, you know, from memory, like if you just asked me what August was in Navajo, I'd have to start from January and go all the way down to <laughs> August to tell you what August was. But I feel like now I'm more comfortable with it and I can do it. I can recall it quicker and better than I did at the beginning of the year. And, you know, that progress is not a lot. But to think that it took me all year to learn that and I can do it now and I'm confident in it. Like it's not a lot of progress, but it's, it is progress. And I'm so happy with that progress. And, you know, five years ago, I would have been upset at that. Like, oh, it took me this long, like, and I have so much longer to go. Like, what's the point, you know? But now my mindset around it is different where I'm so glad and proud of that progress and appreciating that it's better than no progress. And, you know, I'll, I'll be glad if my son can speak, 
can can say numbers one to ten in Navajo, but I feel more confident now that he he'll also be able to say any number from one to a hundred in Navajo, <laughs> and that's going to yeah. be more than other kids can say, right? And just finding those pieces of joy and appreciation in your own language journey, um, I think, is really important, and not comparing it to people who are learning Spanish or learning Italian. Because those languages, you know, they're world languages, and it's, I don't want to say easier to learn. It's just more prevalent, more common, and more accepted and more understood. There's more research behind it. There's more resources. There's more teaching. There's more, you know, all of the immersion schools in Phoenix, they're mostly English and Spanish. So that access is more readily available than it is for a language like Navajo or other native languages. Um, but my biggest advice, again, is that consistency and appreciating that a little bit of progress is better than no progress. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful advice. I, I agree with that. Um, <laughs> sometimes learning a language, you know, it can feel like it's such a big uphill journey, like such a big mm -hmm. mountain to climb. Um, but I think that is really good advice to appreciate the progress that you've made and really enjoy that and take pride in that. Um, so mm -hmm. before you go, tell us where we can find you on Instagram and YouTube and, and your website. Yeah. So my, probably the best starting point would be my website, which is www.alice exchange.com um, and there I have you can see some of the resources that I've made um, my clip art worksheets printables posters flashcards um, and also my blog um, I love doing my blog <laughs> um, and it's just more like a blend of cultural and the typical mom stuff like um, I'm working on one now on our Amazon toddler favorites from this year. And then I also have another blog um, on Navajo skirts. So, and there's a lot of, especially with the holidays, people have been like searching like where to buy Navajo skirts because usually you can only buy them on the res. Um, so I made a blog of where to find vendors who are selling Navajo skirts. Um, and I also have my YouTube channel where I enjoy making motherhood slash language vlogs um, and videos. And that's also you can search for Allison Exchange on YouTube. Um, and lastly, my Instagram. Um, I spend most of my time on Instagram. And that is also at Allison Exchange on Instagram. And if you can't find me again, just go to the about me section on my website and I have it all linked there. So cool. <laughs> um, I hope I'll, that wasn't um... too confusing. I know it's a lot, but um, when I became a mom, I was just aimlessly on social media, not being productive and that killed me. So I'm like, how can I do what I enjoy productive and you know i think that's why i really dove into doing everything doing a blog social media making uh, my resources and selling them and you know going down the trying to make a small business out of it route and everything like being a mom staying at home mom is tough 
and this is my has become my hobby has become my outlet to hang on to what what's important for me and not lose myself in being a mom. <laughs> um, so that's why I enjoy doing all of it. And it might seem like a lot like, oh, she has YouTube. Oh, she has a new download out. Oh, she has an email list. And oh, she has a new blog article. <laughs> like it seems, I know it's a lot and I've tried to really narrow it down to one or two, but it's been hard and but I enjoy it too much. <laughs> yeah, it's wonderful. Along from on top of all of the language learning and stuff. So yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's wonderful. I'll include links to all of those things so people can find you. Thank you again for being here. This was such a wonderful conversation. I really loved hearing all about your experiences, learning languages at learning Navajo and learning it with your son and teaching him. And um, I appreciate you taking the time to tell us about everything. No, thank you. I had so much fun having this conversation and thank you for reaching out and inviting me to be on your podcast. Um, you know, I kind of mentioned it, but you know, it is lonely to be learning a language that isn't wildly widely popular such as italian or french or spanish or mandarin like it it gets really lonely and discouraging with an indigenous language like navajo where there's not a big online community there's not you know thousands of vloggers on youtube sharing tips or on instagram sharing infographics and stuff it gets really lonely but um, and even listening to all of the different bilingual language focused podcasts, um, it, get, it, it can get frustrating to be, to always be hearing about Spanish or always <laughs> hearing about, you know, not that it's, it's wrong with it. It's, it's great. And, you know, we, I'm probably going to learn Spanish again after Navajo, if I ever get tired of learning Navajo, <laughs> but and my son will probably learn Spanish at some point, but it, it, I always have this wish in the back of my head, like why can't someone talk about a native language or an indigenous language or have a native parent um, on one of their YouTube videos or on one of their podcasts? Um, it's really underrepresented and not talked about enough by language people who study language or who are language teachers or um, the bilingual parent community um, native languages are very few and far in between in terms of that representation so i thank you for reaching out and having me be included um, have a native language the navajo language denebazad have it be represented on a podcast platform so thank you oh well it is an honor I'm, I'm so grateful for you taking the time to share everything with us. And I, I've learned so much in the last hour. It's really been great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again to Beth for joining me for this conversation. You can find all of Beth's resources as well as links to her Instagram and YouTube page on her website at allisonexchange.com. 
You can follow Multilingual Montessori on Instagram at multilingual.montessori, and you can find more resources for raising bilingual and multilingual children from a Montessori perspective at multilingualmontessori.org. Please take a moment to subscribe to the Multilingual Montessori podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you enjoyed the episode, don't forget to leave a five-star rating. If you're interested in an extra episode each month on a topic related to language acquisition in young children, you can join the Patreon community. You'll find links to all of these things in the episode description. Another wonderful way to support the podcast is to share it with someone who you think would enjoy it as well. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.